Acts chapter 4. You know, I began to, to think about this this week, and I thought to myself, man, what a, a wonderful thing to be able to meet together in worship. And it's good to be able to, to worship together with the saints of, of the Lord and raise our voices and to hear God's, to hear God's word. And it's become a highlight of the week, not just, not just because I get to preach the word, but to think that we can come together in fellowship and we have the common bond in, in Christ Jesus, our, our Lord. And, and, I, and I read this past week that uh, from a couple different places, this on social media post, and that said something to the effect that, that uh, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night affair. And I agree with that, but I would take that a step further. Uh, Sunday morning worship with the saints is a week-long affair. It is a lifestyle affair. I can't wait until we meet together again for worship. And it is days like today when I'm encouraged. I get to hear a missionary on the field come and share his heart with the, the Lord. And it is encouraging to me. And, and then I think to myself, man, I get to share with you the Word of God. I get to expound the Word that God has given to me. I have spent time in the Scripture. I have spent time in the text, in the Word. And from my best attempt, I have tried to internalize what God has given me through the book of, of Acts and through the Scriptures together. And so I hope you have your Bibles with you, ready to expound from the book of Acts. We'll begin in verse 23, and we'll work our way through verse 31. The sermon that is entitled, Pray Like You Mean It. And that simply is the challenge, Pray Like You Mean It. I'll ask you, if you will, let's stand together as we think about this topic of prayer in the Scriptures. And my prayer would be for us that we would find fervor, that we would find zeal, and that our motives on how to pray would be in accordance to the will of God. And if you'll give me a few moments this morning, we'll look at specific ways how we can pray like you mean it. With our Bibles in hand, verse 23, let's begin. And when they, that is Peter and John, they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth had set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servant to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder. And Father, we just pray 
this morning that we will find some, some truths to hold on to this morning of how to pray and how to seek the Lord and His sovereignty, God, and know that You are a God that hears our prayers, Lord, that You are a God who will forgive us of our sins if we are repentant, Lord, and if we lay transparent before You, Lord, and we know that You'll hear our prayers, Father. So I pray, God, if there's one here today who doesn't know of Your saving grace, Father, that you will already have begun to work in their heart and their mind and that you would draw them to yourself and your saving grace, Lord. For the church this morning, maybe they're struggling, maybe we're working through some things, Lord, and maybe we have forgotten how to pray. Or maybe we just don't think that prayer does much in your kingdom. But may we find some encouragement and some reassurance in this word this morning. And I pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, so I don't know if this is 20 seconds or not, but I'm going to give you a 20-second snapshot. Don't time me, but we're going to look back a little bit on last week. We saw the good fruit of faithfully proclaiming Jesus as Messiah and what that looks like when one faithfully proclaims Christ. Here is Peter and John. They're standing in front of the council. They're standing before these men, and Peter and John are before, you might call them the Sanhedrin or the, or the council, and they command Peter and John not to preach in the name of Jesus. We draw a parallel of the way that people react when Jesus is lifted up. As he himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And how is it when Jesus is lifted up, how are people drawn? Well, people normally act in one of three ways, if not four. Number one, they adhere to the truth of Jesus. They hear the word preach. The Holy Spirit illumines what is preached. They are regenerate and they come to the Lord in faith, uh, in Christ and in Christ alone. Secondly, they are apathetic or they are unconcerned altogether if they hear Jesus. And lastly, they are greatly annoyed, which sometimes can lead to threatening or persecution. It leads to the arrest and the persecution of Peter and John. Now, Peter, once again, he challenges his people. He challenges them to consider the cornerstone. The cornerstone. They are the builders, and he is the cornerstone. And the builders have rejected the cornerstone, who they were supposed to be those who pointed the nations to Yahweh, to God, as the only true God who we are to fear and worship. And they have failed. They have rejected the very cornerstone of that being Jesus. And so he calls them out. And even though they had nothing to say, as they had a direct witness to this healing of a lame man, and they let Peter and John go, and there's a celebration that is carried on. There's a celebration, and all were praising God to what had happened. And now I know that's longer than 20 seconds, so but that is kind of our snapshot of where we left off last week. And today we find what happened when the believers in Jerusalem meet together, when they see a work of the Lord happening before them, they lift their voices up, and they praise God and worship Him. Keep in mind, the Lord is adding to His church daily. We find this, and the Lord added to His church daily. How is the Lord adding to His church daily? People are seeing through the hands of the apostles, people being here, uh, healed, they're hearing the word. The Lord has added 3,000 people to the church. And then last time we were together, 5,000 people believed in Jesus as Messiah. So the Lord is adding to His church daily. And keep in mind that there is an Acts 1-8 paradigm 
for missions in the book of Acts. It is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You want an outline of the book of Acts? That's the outline of the book of Acts. And right now, in our text today, we are still in Jerusalem. And as we are in Jerusalem, no doubt some of Samaria, maybe even Judea, has already been affected in some way by what has transpired in this just short period of time. The question is, what will a faithful witness of Jesus Christ yield? What fruit will come to bear? What will happen when one is a faithful witness for the work of Jesus and for the gospel of Jesus amongst believers Well, a faithful witness for Jesus will bring worship and it will bring prayer. It will bring worship and it will bring prayer. And that is when Christ is rightly lifted up, when there is a faithful witness of Jesus. Now, this worship comes from either the proclaimer or the one whose ears this proclamation falls. And I praise the Lord for faithful witnesses of Jesus through the ages. You scan church history and the pages of church history. There are people who have been faithful through the ages and right now who are faithful right in our local assembly who have been faithful to Jesus. But what happens when we are faithful to Christ? Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. It's so simple. And yet it's so profound at the same time. It is simple and yet it's profound. When the Lord intervenes in your life and in my life, when when God intervenes in some way, it's almost like we have to tell somebody. When God has been good to us, we have to tell somebody. I mean, you think about it. We have children, grandchildren, and we share that. We have a... We have a new addition to the family. A baby is on the way. A grandchild is on the way. And we share those pictures. We share those things. Our child has done good in school. Oh, who at so-and-so has has made honor roll. They they are um, uh, the honor society. We share that with people. And, And then again, we always, we always share the good news of Jesus and how he's moved in our lives for the week, don't we? Or do we? Or maybe that's neglected in our lives. Peter and John are released from being held or arrested. And the first thing they, they do is they evangelize. They tell what God has done and how God has showed up. They just had to tell somebody. Not only are they disciples to the apostles, but everyone in the crowd heard. It seems that Peter's his excitement of this situation and his joy might have clouded his perception in a way. Or maybe it didn't. Maybe his boldness, he didn't care who overheard him talk of Jesus yet again. The very name that he was commanded not to preach in is the very name that he goes out and, and does contrary to what man has to say about the whole ordeal. It seems Peter didn't care. He didn't care if those arrested him heard his report. God showed up. God demonstrated his sovereignty. And and Peter and John couldn't do anything else but to proclaim what the Lord has done. Now, if they were to be like their Lord, Jesus, they would have anticipated 
persecution. In fact, they probably thought that they were going to be imprisoned. They probably figured that they were going to be beat. They might have even gone to their deaths for Jesus. But God had other plans. Now that this initial report has been laid as a foundation, I want us to listen, listen to this model prayer offered by the people. I want you to listen to this beautiful prayer. Let's take it in pieces. Let's do that. Verse 24. And when they, the crowd, heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and they said, here's their prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, once they observed this faithful witness of God, they began to worship Him by lifting up their voices. And here's the first thing they say, Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord. It's very reminiscent of what Jesus said to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, what does he say? Hallowed be thy name. The characteristics of God is he is other than, he is holy, he is, he is righteous. There is a sense of absolute dependency on God. These two words or the titles used together denotes a servant to master. And I, and I can't help but to think of this of the song, Praise the Father, Praise the Son, that begins with, O Sovereign God, O Matchless King, the saints adore, the angels sing. I can't help but to think of that, that line in that song. In this proclamation, this is people affirming the absolute power of God over the cosmos, even though the God of creation does not need our affirmation to be holy and righteous and sovereign. It is interesting when this word Lord is used most of the time in the New Testament. It's very interesting that this word used here is the word for Lord, which would denote an earthly king. And I began to wonder why in the world in this case when the people prayed sovereign Lord that the Lord is not the word kurios that is normally used to denote the Lord of the, uh, of the, of the, of the text, but a different word is used. And I thought to myself, in a normal translation, this is not normally what they would use to reference God. Maybe, just maybe, that they use this word here to, to denote that the Lord God is Lord over the elders or rulers over Israel. And they are making a statement that the God of Israel, that the anointed one, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is our sovereign and not you. He is our Lord and not you. The same thought can be found in 1 Samuel 18 and 7 when Saul becomes jealous over David and the people began to sing, Saul has struck down the thousands and David in his ten thousands. There is an attribution to the one true God over the earthly kings. In one simple changing of the word for Lord, the implication is here. And here's what the implication is from this prayer. Here's the implication. We serve God and not man. We serve God and not man. And even though we do not find a Trinitarian bent or framework necessarily up front in this prayer, we certainly find it in the prayer. We see it throughout the prayer. How do we see this Trinitarian framework in this prayer? Well, first we see the sovereign God or the Father. We see the Son as the Anointed One in verse 26. We see the Holy Spirit as David proclaimed in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David 
Your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered against the Lord and against his, his anointed. Now, could it be that the people are proclaiming this? They are drawing conclusions from the Hebrew writing. Could it be that these people had internalized the word so much that they could recollect on what has been written? You mean to tell me God's people actually eternalize and internalize the word of God? You mean that God's people actually read the word and memorize scripture? That's exactly what they're doing in Psalm 2, verse 1 through 2. It says exactly the same thing. You said by the Holy Spirit through the voice of your ancestor, your servant David, why did the Gentiles rage? And the people devise useless plots. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers meet together against the Lord and against your Messiah. Again, we serve God and not man. In a case we have forgotten, these people are praying. <laughs> In case we have forgotten, these people are praying. What are they praying? They are praying the scriptures. They are praying God's word. They are not praying the prayer of Jabez. And they're not praying some self-help, some self-help book, some woe is me prayer. They are not praying some type of, of wish-washy thin theology. They are praying scripture, true prayer, guided by scripture. It's, it's a worshipful prayer. They make the connection to the past using psalm, and now they point to their present situation by declaring in verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your Holy One, Jesus, your anointed. Now here is the cast of characters. It is Herod, it is Pontius Pilate, it is the Gentiles or the nation and the people of Israel. It's everybody in the known world at the time. And then they make this proclamation to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We don't, sometimes we don't like that word predestined. It's okay for Jesus to have been predestined since the foundation of the world that the lamb would be slain. But when we start talking about believers being predestined, then we have issue because we like to think that we have some type of human agency when it comes to the act of salvation. What a statement that he makes. Luke proclaiming this. I, I think they knew something about the sovereignty of God. This is part of praying as well. Understanding God is in absolute control. Even when we can't understand it. I can't understand everything in this life and why sometimes there seems to be gratuitous evil. Evil that has no place. I can't understand it all. But I know that God is in control. Even if Herod, even if Pilate, even if the Jews and Gentiles, even if they rallied against Jesus to crucify him, it was God's sovereign plan. It was preordained. Now the crowd who had been listening, they had been following Peter and John, and, and some of them may have even seen Jesus. They may have even seen Jesus as Messiah. They were, they were praying because God is sovereign. That is their prayer this, this is the bottom line. They were praying because God had finally sent His anointed one, Jesus, to be the Savior for sin. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He rose again in power in a bodily resurrection, and He even healed a lame man who had 
been sitting on the steps of the beautiful gate at the temple. And if the Lord could heal a lame man through the hands of the apostles, who I like to say were the stewards of this miracle, to be sure that he is sovereign over all. And he is Lord over all. And they prayed like they believed that he was the sovereign God of creation. They believed that God was in control and they prayed like it. They prayed in adoration. They prayed in worship. And God finally showed up and showed his hand through the blessed Messiah, through the resurrection, now working miracles through the hands of the apostles. And by the way, the Lord has always been at work. God has always been at work, but now for them, it seems that he had been so quiet for so long, and now the son is alive. God, it seemed, had been so quiet for so long, and the son is risen, and we pray this prayer as an act of worship. He is sovereign God. Now, to think about the term sovereign, it's a word that you might think might be thrown around a little bit. We often say that without even really thinking about it. We Say that God is in control. We say that often, and He is, and I believe that 100%. Sovereign as applied to the Lord is that He is in total control over all things. Someone had defined sovereignty like this. It is the right of God to do as He wishes with His creation. And this implies that there is no external influence upon Him And that he also has the ability to exercise his right according to his will. Okay, there should be a a slide for that, and we'll hold it up there for a moment. It is the right of God to do as he wishes with his creation. And this implies that there is no external influence upon him. And that he also has the ability to exercise his right according to his, his will. There is another term, that is the aseity of God. That is not a term that we use a lot. And I'm going to keep it up there. Let me explain what that is. The aseity of God is simply put is that God is sufficient in himself. God does not need any help from anyone or anything to sustain his existence. God doesn't need to grab anything in to make his existence or his character or his person better. God doesn't depend on any cause other than himself for existence. He is self-existing. He doesn't need anything for his realization or toward his ends or his goals. Doesn't need any help putting his plan, if you will, into place. And has within himself his own reason of existing. God is self-sufficient, eternally self-sufficient. God is absolutely self-sufficient in himself. He is absolutely sovereign over the whole world and time therein Somebody say amen. My friends, I believe that these people knew something about the sovereignty of God, that he is in control, and that he doesn't need any help from anyone else. And my friends, that ought to bring us to a place of humility. When God calls us to go on mission, to share the good news, to make disciples, and yet he doesn't need anything from us, I think these people knew something about the nature of God and the character of their Redeemer, and you can as well. When was the last time you prayed a prayer like this? Acknowledging that God is in absolute control and, and affirming He is in control and that he is, he is never changing. Many times have we prayed a prayer like that. See, a prayer like that will change the way we pray. It will change, 
It will change your mind to be more like Christ. It will move you towards worship. It will radically change your prayer life. It's not just a checklist of, God, can you give me this? God, can you give me that? Lord, I want you to heal my bunion or my corn or whatever it is. It's not a checklist. But prayer becomes a list of characteristics of the God that we serve to the Son who came to die as Savior and to the Holy Spirit who illumines His Word about who He is. Secondly, a faithful witness for Jesus will bring boldness in times of trouble. My friends, I think that we are at the very crossroad of trouble, at least in these United States, for those who are followers of Jesus. And I believe that we have been at that crossroad for some time now. By God's grace, He has given us ample opportunity to exhibit the person and the work of Jesus in and through our lives to others and to share the good news freely. But I believe that that gate is beginning to close more and more, at least on our freedoms in this nation. But those who are in Christ do not have to worry about the freedom that the, nature, or the nation gives us because we have freedom in Christ to worship. Being a faithful witness will give us boldness in times of trouble. Look at verse 29 and we'll close this out. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servant continue to speak your word with boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to notice this model prayer. After dwelling on the characteristics of God, His sovereignty, that He is in control and God doesn't need anything from us at all to exist. God doesn't need any help from us to exist. Once they had prayed the character, the nature of God, affirming it and worshiping through His, His nature, they began to make their request known, saying, Lord, we, we have been threatened. We have been told not to speak in the name of Jesus, but you give us boldness to speak and to do what we must do to make Jesus known for the glory of Jesus Messiah, give us the boldness to go to our neighbors who are lost, to go to our friends who we have a sneaking suspicion might not be walking with the Lord or far from God. It is only after that they reflect on God's character that they begin to list their petitions. And, and for our language nerds, the Greek language here for this uh, this phrase, to speak thy word with all boldness, is in what they call the present active infinitive. In other words, Lord, look upon their threats made to us and grant them boldness to speak on thy word. Continue to speak. It's a progressiveness. It is a uh, progression. It is a perpetual speaking of thy word in Boldness. It is ongoing. It is not a one and done, see you later, but it is ongoing power to speak boldly for Jesus the Messiah, even if they are threatened. I've never been threatened knocking on somebody's door 
and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. I've never been threatened. I've been fearful sometimes, but never really threatened. The, re the request as we followed the text continued. Lord, we saw you heal by your mighty hand. You healed by your mighty hand. We saw signs and we saw wonders through Jesus. We heard things, we heard things that we have never heard before. People from all over Jerusalem, there were Jews, there was proselytes, there was Cretan, there was Arabians, hearing each other in their own tongue. We saw the common bond of all believers come together in Jesus. A gospel community exhibited mighty. People were selling things, giving to those in need. It was gospel community like they had never seen. They were praising God. They were worshiping people were healed 3,000 people were saved and the Lord began to add to his church daily we saw God give boldness and resolve to two lowly fishermen who made much of Jesus who Jesus made apostles and evangelists people are being changed by the risen Christ God is doing a mighty work and the Bible tells us as they reflected on these amazing events and as they prayed that the place shook beneath them now i've never been in a prayer meeting where it felt like the floors were about to fall in the question that is raised here by some theologians is did the ground shake because of an earthquake at the time you know sometimes liberal theologians like to get together and try to uh, take the miracles or the things that we find in the bible and try to put it in a natural setting well it must have been an earthquake that happened well, even if it was an earthquake at that time, or if they prayed so fervently that the ground shook beneath them, is it either one of these things? I say, yeah, I'm fine with both of them. I'm fine with both of those answers. And here is why. If it was an earthquake, then it was in God's perfect timing. To think that the earth shook at the same time as those saints of the Lord were praying is God's perfect timing. If it was because of the saints were praying together so fervently, it's still God's perfect timing. No matter the scenario, it was God at work. It doesn't get any better than that other than the Lord's return. And as if to add the cherry on top of the Sunday, they were filled with the Spirit of God and they continued to speak with boldness. Now, why did these early believers have boldness? Why were they so bold? Besides the obvious that we find in text that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were filled and wheeled by the Holy Spirit of God. They traveled through some difficult times. They had seen God faithfully, faithfully move. They had seen His faithful hand, His sovereignty, His provision. Followers of Jesus, we grow by the disciplines in our life. We grow when we, when we are working for the kingdom. We grow when we are stretching our spiritual muscles. We grow when we are in the disciplines of our faith through, through prayer, through the reading of God's word, through fellowship. We see, we've already seen three of those things in place already in the early church. They begin to stretch their spiritual muscles and the same can be thought of when we are thinking about prayer. Why are not all of our prayers answered as if they are some magical incantation or if 
The prayers that we pray should be answered instantaneously. The God we serve is not sitting waiting for our request to wave a magic wand. Why must every follower of Jesus journey down the same path of spiritual discipline? Every one of us must travel down that same road for spiritual growth in Jesus. We get into Word, we read the Word, we pray together, we fellowship together, we fast and whatever it might be. Why is it that we journey down the same path of, of discipline, of spiritual disciplines? If we want to grow in our walk with the Lord, there is a path that we take. If you want to grow in your faith, there is a path that we take and the Lord has given it to us. But why do we have to travel the same path together? Why is it that we have to travel down together? Here is why. Here's, I think, a good answer. Because persistent, tenacious prayer, fasting, study, and consideration of the Word of God are designed for you and for me. They're designed for our growth, for our sake. They're not designed for God. Remember, God doesn't need anything. The disciplines of our faith are there for our growth. God doesn't need anything from us to make Him better. He is absolutely self-sustaining. I think about the uh, philosopher Kierkegaard who, who said this. He said, Christians, he said, Christians remind him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their math problems in the back of the book rather than work through them. Who's ever done that? He said, we yearn for shortcuts, but shortcuts usually lead away from growth, not towards it. In other words, pray like you mean it. In other words, pray as if you are calling upon the never-changing hand of God, the never-changing Lord to answer. Now, some of these people have seen the crucifixion. They may have even seen Him crucified. But it is not because of these things that they have seen. They know Jesus is alive and that He is the Savior who forgives sins, who is always consistent. He is always consistent. He always hears His children pray when they pray, who waits for our repentance. When we have fallen in the trap of sin, He desires and waits for our repentance so that we rely solely on Him. We have our sufficiency in Christ that's how we pray. My challenge is for you and for me to pray like we mean it. Pray like we believe that the God of the universe is in absolute control, absolute sovereign over every situation. Pray like He has sent His Son to save us from our sins and that we have victory in Him. And pray as if the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us as we read His Word and as we pray together and as we fellowship would you pray like that? Don't you want to pray like that? Well, let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the example that we see in Scripture. Not just a good example to just sit back and say, that's a good example, but one that is applicable to our lives, Father. These early disciples knew something about the sovereign God that we serve. And, and Father, I just, I just pray that the people here at your assembly here at Piney Grove will know more of the character of God. 
these, uh, these words that we share together, sovereignty, the aseity of God that you don't change, they should not be foreign words to, to your people. They should be words that we understand it, even though we can't articulate every single nuance of the, of the theological language, but we know that you are in control of all of our lives and we give it to you, Father, and that you don't change, Father. There's nothing, that, there's nothing Lord, that you need from anything or anybody to make you better. You are self-sufficient in yourself. Help us to pray with that in mind. And Jesus said, hallowed be thy name, Lord. Your name is holy and righteous. Father, help us, Lord, as your people to pray like that, to pray, God, that, uh, Lord, that we, we can trust you. Father, I pray for the one who doesn't know you today and saving knowledge of Christ, Lord, as we have we have showed, we have demonstrated, Lord, that you have risen again. I pray, Lord, that they would trust in you as their Savior. Father, that you would lead them now to repentance. Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.